That was superb. Um, uh, thank you. Um, so I'll talk to you a bit about where Friends of the Earth comes from, how we approach the kind of issues that are outlined in the, in the scenario. Uh, I'm going to start very quickly by pinching something that uh, Paul showed at a seminar he uh, led uh, about 15 months ago. Uh, and this is a bit of cultural theory, basically, how, how, how different people view the world, if you like, how view, view nature, how, how they view the world. And I'll, with that, I'll just point to how Friends of the Earth sees it. Uh, the slide, uh, which Paul will be able to tell you the exact reference, probably off the top of his head, uh, there are four ways of seeing the world. Uh, there is a kind of fatalist perspective. Uh, it will do what it will do kind of stuff. Uh, uh, nature's pretty capricious, so that's fatalist. Uh, there's a, uh, a kind of, uh, nature's pretty uh, benign, um, uh, kind of very individualistic uh, perspective. And then you get to where the kind of envi how environmentalists broadly see the world. And there's two kind of ways of, of looking at that, really. Or, or environmentalists broadly fall into two camps. This is clearly very simplified. Um, so hierarchicalists will see the world a bit like this. You can push the world around a certain amount, but... Can't you see that very well? Oh, well. Sorry. Um, you can push the world around a certain amount, but if you push it too far, it will get into trouble. It will go into a different state. And that's... Uh, thinking very much around work by Rockstrom and others around planetary boundaries. You can push the planet so far, but when you get beyond that, bad things, very significant bad things, might happen in incredibly quickly kind of perspective. Uh, and the other kind of set of environmentalists, if you like, uh, are the egalitarians, who see the world as pretty fragile, actually. It's in a very narrow, balanced state. If you push it one way or the other, then you're in big trouble. You really ought to try and maintain it as it is. Uh, there's not much room for manoeuvre. That's worth uh, thinking, knowing about, because I think when you're trying to understand in politics, uh, in policy formation, uh, how to influence things, you really have to get into the head of other people. The second thing, I think, in terms of, um, if you like, uh, a philosophy that groups like Friends of the Earth uh, bring to the world, uh, uh, as well as an understanding, is resources are limited. They're either limited because the resources will run out at some point or because the impact of extracting the resources or using the resources, uh, the side effects of doing so are too significant. Climate change is an obvious case. Um, you know, we may not run out of oil and coal and gas uh, for two or three hundred years, but the side effect of using those is leading to climate change and that's a side effect we need to be worried about. Um, as Paul said, the uh, attempt to identify how much resources there are in practice uh, has got a long history of uh, not being as accurate as it could do. And in, from an environmental perspective, the limits of growth uh, idea put forward it by the Club of Rome in 1972, which broadly said these resources are going to run out pretty quickly, uh, was shown to be wrong in terms of the exact predictions of when and how much resources will run out, although broadly its, its thesis probably does still stand up. Uh, the ethical dimension that Friends of the Earth uh, and many other environmentalists will bring to the question of resource use is about how that is about sharing those resources out. 
So those resources aren't uh, from our philosophy, if you like, our politics, if you like, uh, something that one nation can consume all themselves and, and sod the rest, if you like. We think they ought to be equitably shared uh, or more equitably shared across the planet. And we produced a book uh, in 1996, 97, called Tomorrow's World, that first tried to identify what the resources that are that are out there and if countries shared out those resources, how much uh, resources they should have. That has relevance to this scenario because the last IPCC report published in September last year, for the first time, identified what's called a carbon budget. If we want to avoid the stated policy goal of governments of, of avoiding two degrees climate change or global warming. Uh, and that carbon budget uh, has to be shared out somehow between nations. So again, the kind of political philosophy that groups bring to these issues are important. The idea of sharing out resources is not disputed within the 1992 Earth Summit Agreement. There's an agreement of a shared but differentiated responsibilities that broadly says um, that different countries have to do different amounts depending on their wealth and uh, in terms of addressing these problems and that to an extent these things have to be shared out. It's how much is shared out and how it's shared out is the biggest and most intractable problem within the international climate negotiations. The third thing I'd say about where groups like Friends of the Earth uh, come from uh, is about uh, our responsibility, not just to people who are alive now, but responsibility to people in the future. Uh, so the need to take a long-term look and think about the repercussions of what we do now for uh, future generations. Um, Margaret Thatcher, of course, said in her conference speech, we are not just friends of the earth, we are stewards of the earth, and we have responsibility to future generations. Um, so that shows that that can cut across different political uh, leanings. Um, and Chris Patton's uh, uh, landmark environment strategy 1992, is that right? 1992? Yeah. Um, our common inheritance uh, was like if the first time the kind of the, 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 uh, a plan of action for trying to make sure that we take, into responsi take responsible, responsibility for the environment for future generations. Uh, it was a, a, a very uh, good publication. It wasn't completely followed through, I think is, is fair to say. But this long-term view uh, that environmentalists bring to it obviously cuts across and is challenging in political and policy circles where political circles, uh, cycles are very short uh, and business cycles are relatively short as well. So that kind of short-termism that's endemic within societies actually doesn't work very well for kind of long-term uh, stewardship <coughs> responsibilities. The fourth thing, uh, in terms of how uh, environmental groups uh, come uh, to deal with issues, is we will tend to see the world as a complex place. The ecology is complex, the world is a complex place, our human bodies are complex. Um, we, we see, to an extent, perhaps a human arrogance and that we think we know what the consequences of our actions will be and we can predict them. But that isn't the reality as we see it. We see a large amount of complexity and biodiversity offsetting the idea of uh, sacrificing uh, an ancient woodland, however old it is, and replacing it by planting a few trees elsewhere, to us just so, it, it, it is a degree of hubris. How can you replace something that's grown up over perhaps thousands of years or at least hundreds of years, complex ecological system, with a bunch of trees? That doesn't kind of work for us. So that's an interesting uh, uh, for the scenarios perhaps as well. And the last thing I'll say in terms of how we view the world um, 
is that we see um, that nature has an inherent worth in itself, uh, not just an instrumental worth. And again, that can be very, uh, that, that can be a, a very different way of seeing the world to some other people. So we don't just see the world, we don't see the need to protect biodiversity only for the benefit that actually we can learn from biodiversity and we can create great inventions from biodiversity, whether it's to make advanced biofuels or whether it's to make better swimsuits. Actually, we see the inherent worth of biodiversity. Uh, and again, that can create uh, challenges in political debates and campaigning. So our campaigns. Um, basically, our campaigns work from a pr premise that change happens if three conditions are met. The first condition is the status quo is no longer tenable. We see, perhaps, and this is a gross simplification, that politicians particularly don't like change because change brings risks. And of course, they're wanting to drive a particular change from an ideological perspective. But in the environment sphere, um, basically, uh, the status quo can sometimes be the most comfortable place to be until it becomes untenable, in which case change has to happen and you're in an opportunity for making policy. Secondly, there's got to be widespread pressure for change. So environmental groups on their own cannot create change. We have to build alliances for change. And thirdly, that solutions have to exist. So these three conditions, we think, are necessary to get fundamental change. You might get tweaking around the margins, but to get any fundamental change, you need those three conditions to be met. So in terms of how do we address those three conditions in our work, well, firstly, um, to create pressure, um, particularly around the status quo not being tenable. There's grassroots campaigning is uh, a critical part of that work. Um, uh, and within our parliamentary system, with constituency elected members of parliament, then grassroots campaigning can be incredibly effective. It's what led to the Climate Change Act, um, and I led that work for Friends of the Earth, um, but clearly grassroots campaigning is very alive and kicking in terms of the fracking debate, and clearly uh, the government's response to flood is going to be very influenced by grassroots campaigning uh, as well. Um, the media is critical. Winning over the media, getting media coverage um, uh, is incredibly important. Um, and the last thing is the law uh, in terms of our kind of our, our, our trying to drift, change things. Um, if, if we can use the law to demonstrate that something is no longer tenable, then we're in, a, we're in a good place. So I'll give just two quick examples of uh, that. When I started my career at Friends of the Earth in 1989, we were campaigning around drinking water. Drinking water in the UK at that point was uh, contaminated with a mixture of pesticides. Um, there was an EU law that we used to successfully force the government to take action on pesticides in water. Um, our colleagues in Northern Ireland have used EU law to try and get Northern Ireland's sewerage system up to date. Um, so law is a particularly useful lever. Partnerships and uh, coalitions, again this is about building a widespread pressure of change, clearly working within the environment movement, but just about any group will say can we get the Women's Institute on board as an illustration of actually widespread uh, political salience uh, if you can get the Women's Institute on board with your campaign, you are in a better place, a much better place than you would be otherwise. Um, so it shows that you need to move beyond just kind of environment sphere if you want to have political pressure. And of course, progressive businesses are incredibly 
important and increasingly important in terms of leveraging change. And on the solutions side of the work, um, clearly there's a, about publishing uh, research, but actually looking abroad for case studies um, of how uh, change has happened successfully is incredibly important in terms of influencing change. If you can say to somebody, you know, go to Sweden and see how they've done some of their cycleways, or if you can go, say, go to Germany and see what they're doing on their energy work, then that can have uh, uh, a positive influence. It's not completely reclamable, but it does show that things, it reduces the risk of change, if you like, to the decision makers, if they can see it can be done successfully. Um, and the th third thing um, in terms of solutions is uh, engaging within um, Parliament around uh, either proposing laws, so Friends of the Earth, for example, is, has, has, has piloted and worked with parliamentarians to, pri to, to, to successfully steer through private members' bills through, through, through Parliament or on, on recycling and, and, and other issues. Um, we campaigned within and worked within Parliament around the Climate Change Act that I've mentioned, and more recently working within that uh, with the members of the House of, of Lords around the government's disastrous lobbying bill that attempts to, to a large extent, gag charities during general election periods. And, and the Lords has been, a, uh, has been the uh, bastion of common sense uh, during that legislation, during the progress of that legislation. So basically, I, you know, Friends of the Earth's uh, role in this, we come from a certain place, we have a particular attitude, we have an identification of how we think change happens our long game is to shift the power so that it becomes the norm to protect the environment, which comes back to Richard's point about power. We have a long-term game to try and shift the power in the right direction. And all our campaigns have to contribute to that. Great. Thank you, Mike. Fantastic. Okay, so that set out some kind of 